ever tell you I love mistletoe? I love mistletoe. I've put it strategically around the house. My wife doesn't know. We're going to have a good Christmas together. <laughs> Just thought I put that out there. I want to say I even love singing Frosty the Snowman. Well, people and, and singing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas while sitting on a, a beach in 40 degree heat. I love it. I do it. As I'm seeing people fan themselves, you should have sung, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Yeah, anything. It was a cooler Christmas. I'm dreaming for a little bit of a cooler Christmas. But I love it all. I even love the Christmas story. I don't know if you, if you followed along there with what Jen was reading, but that was just an excerpt from the Bible of the Christmas story, which I think... Unfortunately, though, it sometimes gets shoved into the same category as Christmas trees, Boney M, and I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. It's all part of it. It's like, this is part of a novelty bag called Christmas. We pull it out every December, and it's so quaint. And I think the p- trouble is we, we take those things, and we make the Christmas small story very similar to that. We almost make it like a bit of a myth, or we romanticize it, and we, it's very clean cut, and Mary's got a halo, and, and, and it's just beautiful, you know, and Joseph is cleanly shaven. He's just looking good, and he's got aftershave on, and, and, the, and you know, it's just this beautiful, the, the baby of Jesus is just perfect, and there's a beam of light, Whoa. it's like almost amazing, the, the, the lighting guy was working extra hard at the manger, thank you for that laugh, I appreciate that, tell you, it's good, it's Christmas, we're allowed to laugh, appreciate that's a good one, but I, you know what, I think, what do we do with the Christmas story, I think, you know, I believe the Christmas story was much less silent nights, all was calm and all was bright. And it was much more chaos upon chaos. It was crazy. It was dirty. There was confusion. There was fear. They didn't know what was going on. That was the Christmas story. And I like that Christmas story version better. And I want to take us into that story because I, wanna, I believe a lot of us, we buy into this, this line. I saw kids looking at these presents, eyeing them out. But we buy into this, we think, we get so excited because we see some rapping, and we play our lives a lot like this. We make the Christmas story a lot like this, all shining and bright on the outside, but inside, there's nothing. Sorry, kids. He was like, oh. Nothing inside. But that's also, I think, I believe, we buy into the lie, and we put on our suit and tie, as I've done for the first time this year. You should be privileged. But what happens is, I think our lives become a lot like this, where we try to keep it all together, looking good on the outside, but inside there's emptiness. And we're struggling. The kids are still eyeing. They don't believe me. Ben's like, as soon as he puts that present down, I'm taking it. But I want to tell you, I, I, I want to take us into the Bible very shortly for 15 minutes, if that's okay. Just to, if you're un, uh, unaware or unfamiliar with the Bible, it's broken up in two parts. The first chapter, the first stanza of the Bible is called the Old Testament. And it, 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 it works out about, about three quarters of the Bible. Just around there. That's it, there. That's the Old Testament. Then, if you flick over the page, it it opens a new day for the Bible. It's called the New Testament. Some really clever genius writers there. The Old and the New Testament. But what is missed in this, sometimes I think we we miss this thing, is that this one page that separates the Old and the New Testament represents 400 years. So from this page to flicking to the New is 400 years. And the Bible its main job is to record God's dealings, God's speakings, God's relationship with mankind. But for 400 years, it seemed like man got the silent treatment. I tell you, if my wife gives me silent treatment for 10 minutes, I know there's problems. Woo, I've got I've to be planning a date night soon. Things are on the rocks there. But I want to tell you, 400 years! My question here is, was God being silent or had the people stopped listening? I think, I don't know, I think I'd lean into the latter. But what happens is that the people actually, they don't freak out. The amazing thing is when God goes silent and the word of God becomes rare, 
No one freaks out. It's business as usual. The wrapping goes on, and 400 years go on, and the church looks exactly the same as it was, once was, but there's nothing inside. Business as usual carried on without the voice of God cutting in and leading the people. That's where we pick up the story, and we meet our first character, and I, I don't know if you're aware of her. Her name is Mary. There's just something about Mary. There's just something about Mary, I tell you. But I want to tell you, that's something I believe was nothing unusual about her. I think some parts of the church, they deify Mary to such an extreme that they do her a disservice. Because I believe, I want to tell you that Mary, there was nothing unusual about her except this. God chose her. She wasn't set apart in a different way. It was just God chose Mary. That's why she's amazing. And she responded in obedience to that, which is incredible. But God chose her. But the scholars tell us that Mary, as I say, we mythicize this thing. We put her up there on a pedestal with a halo and all. But the scholars say Mary was a teenager, just a teenager. I want to tell you that as I thought about this a little bit, I, I want to bet that if Mary had a cell phone, her cell phone would be filled with lols and BRBs and, and all the like, and you'll have no clue what she's talking about. You wouldn't, because she was a teenager. I, I believe in her Christmas wish list. She would have written down that year before the angel met her. She had One Direction tickets, please. Justin Bieber's new CD. New iPhone. That would have been her Christmas wish list, because she was a teenager. But then the angel appears to her. And this angel named Gabriel, just that's for dramatic effect. <laughs> the angel appeared to her and said, you are pregnant with the Messiah. First words, I want to tell you, when you've had silent treatment for 400 years, you've got to pay attention to the first words that the heaven speaks. Hey, am I right? It's quite a big deal. And he says to her, you're pregnant with the Messiah. And I love Mary's response because it's so honest. It wasn't this amazing thing. Her first response is fear, questions, doubt, anxiety. I want to tell you, I, I, I bet she was hoping there was another Miss Universe moment. It's Mary who's pregnant. No, it's not. She's like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Miss Columbia, thank goodness. I think she was hoping that. I really do think she was hoping that. But I want to tell you, the first word from heaven, actually, when we lean in a little bit closer, we see the first word that heaven says after 400 years is this. Don't be afraid. God is for you. Bam. Huge. And this is amazing because I believe this needs to reach us, this Christmas needs to preach this to us, that don't be afraid, God is for you. Because I believe, and I grew up in this understanding that I thought that God was angry with me. I thought God was angry with me, I thought he was disappointed, I thought he was saying, look at him, I knew he was a sinner, I knew, look at him, oh, he's loving it. But I want to tell you the truth is, that is the most furthest thing from the truth. Understanding that he, when God says he is for you, the understanding of this is that God goes as far as saying this. This is the biggest secret. The, if you want to reach into the stocking of, of Christmas and find out the greatest treasure is this. He's not counting your sins against you anymore. Because of Christmas. Because of Jesus, he came to this earth. God he even said so much so that he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. God is not against you He's for you. Great news on Christmas. I want to tell you, the second person that we meet, we meet Mary, and she hears, don't be afraid, God is for you. The second man is a man named Joe, for short, Joseph, you might know him as. But Joe, JJ, whatever you want to go with. Joe's also a teenager, 
And I can imagine with the flat cap and the board shorts. But he's a, a teenager, as we read in between the lines, that he was a guy who, who was a man with, with purpose in his life. And he's a man that, that was a responsible man. And he's a, man, a young man that also has a future. Probably was dreaming of, of a university next year. He'd probably put out his, his 10-year plan of what, where I want to be in 10 years. Dating and engaged then to Mary. And then he hears this news from Mary that, oh, I'm pregnant. And she says, but it was the Lord. And he says, I've heard that on Jerry Springer before. I'm not buying that one. So Joseph goes and he says, you know what? I, I, I'm a good guy. I don't, I don't know. Don't buy this whole story. So he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to divorce her quietly. I don't want to cause a stir. I don't want to embarrass her. But I've got a plan. My life's going this way. So this, is, I can't, this, can't, this can't take me off the rails. This girl's not going to stop me from my future. But then what happens is he gets a word from heaven and a dream. The angel appears to him and the angel says this. The second word from heaven, he says, he meets Joseph, and he says, Joseph, this is your child, born of the Holy Spirit, but you're going to father him, and you're going to name him Jesus, God Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want to tell you, the first word from heaven is, don't be afraid, God is for you. The second word from heaven is this, don't be afraid, God is with you. The greatest news of heaven, why did God, that God sent his one and only son, not to condemn the world, but to save it, to be the very presence among it. And I think the problem is, we've, if you've grown up in, in our broken society, whether you had it yourself or whether you know of it, fathers get a bad rap because a lot of them are distant. A lot of them are absent. They're aloof. They're withdrawn. I want to tell you, God is none of those things. He's not a distant father holding out on you, waiting for you from a distance, looking at you disapprovingly. God is not the Godfather. I don't know if you've seen the movies, Godfather, who says, if you do this, then I'll do that. If you don't do that, ugh. and we think God is like that. If I, if I behave, if I attend, if I do, if I, God then will be for me. If not, he's angry and he's, he pulls away like a scorned lover. No, he's not like that. The word from heaven says, fear not, God is with you. He goes so far saying, he'll never leave nor forsake you. But I want to tell you this, he will never force you. He'll wait for you with open arms. He'll wait for you, and he's very patient. He'll wait, and he'll wait, and wait, because he says this from heaven, I'm for you, and I'm with you. And I pray we reach into the stocking of heaven this, this, this afternoon and find these as treasures that will change our lives. The third and final people we meet are these guys called the shepherds. The shepherds are, are there washing their socks by night. What's it? Watching their flocks by night, sorry. <laughs> watching their flocks by night. Say that 10 times fast. It's tricky. But I want to tell you, they were very ordinary, run-of-the-mill, average Joes. In my mindset, I'll tell you, shepherds were a dime a dozen. Shepherds were everywhere. They were looking at sheep there, there. And I'm telling you, and I think in my mindset, I think they were like a, a, a modern-day equivalent of the, or an ancient-day equivalent of car gods. They, I'm being serious. I think they were there. They were, they were just always in this. That's the, the way, you know, the sheep, come on in, 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 out, in, out, looking, I'll look after them. I've got it, I've got it. Thanks, thanks, thanks. I think they just were everywhere. They were nothing special. They were nothing like, wow, these guys deserve a word from the Lord. They weren't seeking. They weren't religious by anything. They were just ordinary, normal shepherds. And the angel comes to them and says this thing. It says, good news. I bring you good news of great joy. The Savior, the Christ, is born. The first word from heaven is, don't be afraid. God is for you. The second word is, don't be afraid. God is with you. I'll tell you, the third word from heaven is, don't be afraid. God can save you. God can save you. This is huge for me 
because I want to tell you that Jesus did not come to be a footnote or to just neaten up our lives, call us to a higher level of morality, or basically, in a sense, get our empty lives and wrap them a little bit tighter and make them a little bit more presentable for people to see. He did not come for greater morality. If I were to tell you the greatest lie is that Jesus is there ticking your morality status. No, he did not come to bring you to a level of greater behavior. He called you to a new life entirely. His life. I want to tell you that Jesus came and was born into our mess. This messy story, he was born into a manger full of animal uh, droppings and smells, and it was not pretty by any stretch of the imagination. He was born into our mess, and if you flip a few pages in your Bible, you'll find out why. He was born so that he would die and become our mess. He was not only born into it, he took our mess upon himself. He took every sin, every last sin upon himself. Jesus was born to die. Why? To save you and I. I want to tell you, this is huge. He died a death we deserved. He paid a debt we couldn't pay, all to save us. Don't be afraid. God can save you. We see those things, and finally, you wonder, after all this amazing outpouring of God's words, what is man's response? If you look at it, there's a little verse stuck, tucked away in that whole story that Jen read that says, when the, the life of God, Mary and Joe said, yes, and in obedience found favor in God as the life of God came and they carried the Savior. And it says they went after, uh, to the census, they arrived in Bethlehem, and they, the, the, she was about to give birth. They looked for a place to give birth to the life of God who was there to come and be for the world, to be with the world and to save the world. And the response of mankind was this. From in to in, from hostel to hostel, from, from Formula One to Formula One, they went to all of them, and every single one of them said, we have no room. There is no room. 400 years have come, and yet they got in a groove, and they said, don't disturb the status quo here. We're happy. We're happy with our empty box. We're happy with the wrapping, but nothing beating inside. They're happy with business as usual. Jesus went a bit further later on. He called these guys out, uh, men who, who, who loved to be religious but didn't have the life of God. And he said, you guys have no room in your, in your hearts for my word. There's no room, they said. And I believe that we very often, myself included, often when confronted with the life of God, calling me to the more of him and to trust him and to know that he's for me and with me and he's there to save me and throw my lot entirely with Jesus. I often know my own heart says, no, I don't have any room. I've got things going on. I don't have room. And I'll tell you three reasons. I believe fear of what people think is the first reason why we say there is no room. We are fearful of what people will think if suddenly I give up. I've held on to my intellect for so long. I've held on to my pride. I, I've worked out. A, I've reasoned this thing. And this thing just sounds so out there, so different. And, 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 and the heart, the, you're getting pulled by Jesus. You're being pulled by him. He's pursuing and saying, I'm with you. Come. Come into the fullness of life. And we say, oh, but I've got no room because I'm fearful what people will think of me. Secondly, I believe that we are fearful of the future. Just like Joseph, we can lean into, we don't want, God, gee, when he comes, he, he demands a change. And we say, I, I don't want it, the change will be too much. It'll be too much for me to do. And we lean into our self-reliance and we say, no, 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 I, I'm fearful. I, I'm going to hold on to my future. I'm not going to give it up for what, the better one that he has for us. I'm going to hold on to the empty box. Thirdly, maybe a fear of our own brokenness. Maybe you sing then, you say, the things I've done are just too bad. If I start to allow Jesus to unwrap this thing, I shudder to think what I'll find in there. The pain, 
the brokenness, the loneliness, the rejection, the things I've done that I haven't mentioned, I haven't spoken. It's too big. I want to tell you the great news of the land this evening for Christmas is because Jesus came and he met with the answer, there is no room. He traded that for every single person, no matter how far you have run, no matter how hard your heart is, no matter how broken your heart is, the echo of heaven is, there is always room. There is always room. Don't be afraid, I am for you. Don't be afraid, I am with you. Don't be afraid, I can save you. Yes, sir, ma'am, even you, even me. C.S. Lewis says this incredible quote. He said, the son of God became the son of man so that sons of men could become sons of God. That is what Christmas is about. And I pray this evening that you would open your hearts and you would not have the response, Jesus, there's no room in me for you. But you would open your hearts and say, Jesus, Come and save me. If you can save them, can you save me? And I promise you, you'll hear these words from heaven. Don't be afraid, I am for you. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I can and I want to save you. Let's pray. you can close your your eyes and bow your heads. In this moment here, as we are authentic and real, pushing past the trappings of Christmas, pushing past trees and bony M and Christmas dinners, pushing past the wrapping paper and, and, and coming and saying, actually, there is an emptiness inside of me. I've tried to fill it with, with other things. I've tried to fill it with pursuits, I've tried to fill it with relationships, I've tried to fill it with, with money, with my job, with, with, with family. But as I have the, bo- the box of my life rattle tonight, I realize it's empty inside. Sir, ma'am, maybe you have grown up with the idea that God is angry, or God is distant, or you are too far gone. My prayer, and our prayer that we've been praying all week, is that you coming to the service tonight would not just be a religious box to tick, but to say, Jesus, there is room in my heart for you. And to hear him say, there's always room for you. If that's you in this place, we're gonna sing again a song. But after, before that, I'm gonna ask you to do a very brave thing. No one's looking around. I'm gonna ask you just to lift your hand as high as you can on the count of three. If you're saying, I wanna change the sign on my door that there's no room, for the life of God, but actually say, I don't have the answers, I don't even know where to start, but I'm going to start by just saying yes, like Mary. I'm, I, it's a bit confusing, a bit all out there, but I'm just going to say yes. If that's you saying yes to the life of God and changing that sign from there's no room to yes, Jesus, come on in. I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand high, just for me to see so I can pray. Thank you, ma'am. I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Lift your hand high. No one else is looking, just me so I can know who to pray for. Thank you, thank you. His hands are, thank you very much. Wonderful. That's lovely. Keep your hands up. Just, I'm going to pray. No one's looking. We're not counting. But just, it's a statement of faith saying, Jesus, I'm changing that sign. Sometimes it just takes that little action. Father, I pray right now for every single one of these people who tonight have said, I'm changing. Not my behavior, but I'm changing my belief system. I'm not believing in a God who's absent, a God who's far, a God who's powerless. I'm believing in a God who came down for me. 
Tonight I repent. The word repent just means I say sorry. And I mean it with my heart of holding on to my own box tightly and not giving it to you, God. And I pray as they repent, as we repent as a people, would the life of Jesus come and save us. Father, I pray right now, God, we believe in you, Jesus. You came, you were born, you lived a perfect life that we could never live, and you died a death that we deserved, paid the price that we could never pay so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. And I pray in this room, on this Christmas, men and women all across this auditorium, we're lifting their hands, not an emotional plea, but in a moment saying, I surrender. I thank you, God, everything changes. Just like for Mary, for Joseph, 400 years of silence, everything changed. And tonight, your sons and daughters go free as the life of God floods in and changes everything.